Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Entrepreneurs Podcast with your host, Charles. Enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, it's your host, Charles, and today we've got a great one for you. So today I'm going to be sitting down with Cass, and we're going to be talking about fraud in the cryptocurrency industry. There's a lot of it out there. So we're going to go over a couple cases, and then we're also going to talk about how you can avoid fraud and what to look out for. But before we do get into that, I do just want to give a quick shout out to my sponsors. You guys know both of them. The first is Roundly X. These guys are absolutely wonderful. I've been using their service for a while now. What you do is you link your credit or debit card, and with each purchase, they round that purchase up to the next dollar and invest that spare change into Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency of your choosing. It's a very easy, stress-free way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. So if you haven't already, there is a link in the description below. Head on over, create an account, start dollar cost averaging today. The second is CoinFlex. These guys are a newer exchange. I absolutely love what they're doing. They're actually the first physically delivered crypto futures exchange. Always a mouthful when I say it. Uh, but some cool features they've got going on. They have some of the lowest, if not the lowest fees in the market, depending on how much flex you own. Also, flex staking has recently gone live. So for every thousand flex that you own, you will be paid $10 USDT per month. I've been staking flex for a while now, and it has been wonderful. Lastly, I know I've been hyping this one up for a while, but these bracket order competitions are going to be starting soon, and they're going to be giving away $10,000 a day. That's right, you heard me correctly, 10 grand a day. If you haven't already, I've said it every single episode, go sign up for an account right now. There's a link in the description below. There is a bit of a learning curve, like I've said, so you do need to hop on this exchange now, start learning how to use it, and get ready for these bracket order competitions. Now, let's get into the episode. So... Cass, before we really get into it and talk about fraud and Tether, do you think you could just give us a little bit of background on yourself and how you got into the cryptocurrency industry? Uh, of course. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, uh, so I'll do a, uh, a quick summary of my life, the quickest summary I can, which is uh, I was a baker for a while. I worked in the food industry for a while. I worked in the entertainment business for a while. Uh, and then eventually I uh, was doing writing and, and kind of PR work for an independent bookstore. Um, and while I had some spare time doing that because it wasn't, it was basically a part-time job and I had some extra time on my hands. I, my roommate introduced me to the cryptocurrency world. This was back in, I want to say around April of 17. So he he introduced me to it and he didn't know a lot. He had just a friend had told him to buy Ethereum in like January of 17. Um, so he, he did. 
but he didn't know anything about it. So I, I started looking into Bitcoin and Ethereum and uh, cryptocurrency, and I fell down the rabbit hole. Um, and I purchased some in August, and by February of 18, I was completely out of the market. So I hold no coins. Uh, I didn't lose. I didn't lose any money. I didn't make very much money. Like it was a, a neutral, a neutral endeavor for me. I don't feel like I got scammed. Um, but yeah, so I, I that was what led me into it. There we go. Okay, so very different story than what a lot of my guests have talked about because they're very big proponents of cryptocurrencies. They hold Bitcoin and others. Uh, but it sounds like you got out. You haven't gotten back in. I'm assuming that has to do with kind of the fraud that you've seen, and we can definitely get into it. Uh, but the, 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 I want to touch on the baking part of things because I think that's how we connected on Twitter, right? It was yes. you, you, you had talked about uh, baking bread, and you know my, my buddy has just recently taken on this new hobby and turned it into a little bit of a venture himself. He's selling bread at farmer's markets to a couple little bakeries. Uh, so, I, I'd just like to quickly ask you, like, how is that going? Is he, is he continuing it? Is it going well? So he actually moved back home. He lives in slow. He grew up in slow, which is San Luis Obispo, California. One of my those... best friends is from San Luis Obispo. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very small world. Um, yeah. but he, so he, that's where he moved back to kind of start it. Uh, he lives with his parents now. It's kind of just like trying to get it up and running. Uh, I think he is now successfully selling at farmer's markets on a weekly basis. I haven't kept in touch with him too much because it's actually his girlfriend who I went to school and grew up with. And that's how I kind of know about the business. Uh, But I don't keep in contact as close as I probably should or could. Uh, But from what I've heard, it's starting to pick up. He's starting to sling bread at the farmer's markets. Awesome. I'm super stoked for him. I'm all about, you know, entrepreneurs, small business, people getting out there. And a lot of my friends have kind of started to turn towards that. So it gets me hyped. I love talking about it. I love meeting people who are kind of share similar interests. And then we started talking and uh, we've got you on for this episode. Uh, So now I'm really excited to get into this whole, you know, fraud thing because I read one of your, sorry, I read one of your Medium articles on WorldCom, and uh, it was pretty interesting. So can you just walk my audience through what that kind of whole situation was like and what happened? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm probably older than a lot of your, I'm not old. I'm not going to date myself uh, too much here, but uh, I'm not old, old, but I'm, I'm, uh, probably older than many of your audience members. So I, as a child, I remember WorldCom and what happened when WorldCom uh, fell apart. And WorldCom was one of the largest corporations uh, in America at the time. They were a massive telecom business. And right at that time is when telecom deregulation was occurring. So they there was a lack of regulation. There was a lack of control, last, lack of oversight. And what happened is this... Uh, this corporation was able to do what they call creative accounting and through creative accounting and shuffling numbers around, they propped up this business on, on a, nothing. It was a, a losing business constantly. Uh, and over time it bled out until a internal auditor 
noticed everything going wrong. And by the end, the executives saw some jail time, uh, which is why actually this is very relevant because um, the CEO, his name is Bernie Ebers, uh, the, the former CEO of WorldCom was just released uh, as of when we're recording this. He was just released a day before. So um, oh, wow. the CEO just got released from prison after serving for 15 years. Uh, and he's 78 years old. So he went in at 63. He's out now at 78, I guess, for health reasons. Um, but he was due to serve a 25-year sentence for the billion-dollar fraud that he, the multi-billion-dollar fraud that he had helped prop up. The, the timing on this is unreal. Uh, so it's the <laughs> 19th of December today for anyone who's listening to this, you know, down the road. So released on the 18th. Um, we're going to be I'm going to be looking out for him in the cryptocurrency industry because <laughs> there is a lot of fraud in this industry. So I, I kind of wanted to ask how the two relate, because I know you talked about cryptocurrencies in the article. So how do you yeah. draw comparisons or what's the relation between the two? Right. So I don't think there's no there's no. um it's not like there's an obvious like, OK, so they were using blockchain or uh, I don't know. Some, there's no like a uh, very clear cut and dry. This is why it's related to cryptocurrency. But I think why it feels very relatable to me is that uh, we have. We have so much unchecked business going on, so it doesn't matter if there's any reality behind a lot of this stuff. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But what happens when no one is checking uh, and making sure that that people are doing what they say they're going to do? Generally, people just don't do what they say they're going to do. It's not, and it, it it's not that they go they go into it thinking I'm going to ruin a bunch of investors' lives. They don't go into it thinking I really. Most of them, most of them don't go into it thinking these things, right? That I want to hurt people course eventually you just start taking these steps where it's like you were handed maybe you were handed 20 million dollars for your diamond dust on the blockchain I, I like if no one checks in and makes sure that your diamond dust on the blockchain is checking the supply chain or whatever you said it was going to do and you're not succeeding in accomplishing that you're just going to lie about it because you don't want to tell people that you're failing. Nobody wants to be a failure. And that is the exact same thing that happened in WorldCom. What you had was a pretty successful businessman at the very beginning. So he established a network in the, in, in the south of uh, the United States, like in Mississippi and stuff like that. So he established his own little network right when telecom had been disrupted and deregulated. So you had PacBell and... AT&T, and you had these baby bells, you had these few very massive corporations in control of everything telecommunications. And that's not good either. You definitely don't want that. But when you deregulate at the same time that you break a bunch of companies up, what you are left with is this kind of chaos. And so this chaos reigned. He propped up his business, bought a bunch of other businesses, kept buying on loans, buying on essentially on margin, right? So this guy is buying his own stock on margin. He's uh, acquiring property on margin. And then he's margin taking out loans on the property that he buys. And then he's taking out 
loans on the stocks that the stock, his own stock that he owns. And then he's buying more stock with all of those loans. And those kind of shenanigans end up hurting everyone in the end, because now you're left with, yeah, of course, there's people who made a killing from world from WorldCom stock who bought in in the early 90s and sold in 1999 and made a fortune. And there's no denying that. And there's nothing wrong with that either. There's nothing wrong with people making a profit from something that seems legit and they think it's legit, right? Who, who, who could who could possibly have known besides the people working on the inside that WorldCom wasn't legit? And that's how you have to look at a lot of these cryptocurrency projects. Who knows what's going on in I, like whatever's, I don't know what's what's happening right now, Chainlink or... Uh, uh, Matic I, was really name. big for a little while and then fell off a cliff. But right. yeah, you, you really don't know what's going on behind the scenes a lot of the time. And I really liked what you were talking about with this whole... You know, things go unchecked. There's no real accountability. Um, right. And you're so right. I think a lot of these people who started these companies were very forward-thinking people. They got into it thinking that they're going to make a huge difference in the world. And then without that accountability, you know, they they, they saw no need to continue to push for that. Uh, and when things started to go south, they just gave up on it kind of. Um, mm -hmm. and so I, I am seeing a lot of, you know, similarities between traditional, like, you know, the traditional market and cryptocurrencies and this fraud that goes on, uh, and what kind of happens, the fallout of it. Uh, and a lot of people who listen to my show, you, you're right. They might be a little bit younger, uh, and they don't know too much about the traditional side of things. Uh, and they know about all the fraud in cryptocurrencies and the cryptocurrency industry. Uh, but there is so much fraud going on in the kind of traditional market. Um, and it's just crazy that we're seeing it again, but people think, oh, this is some crazy new thing. This fraud has never happened before. Right. Um, but okay, so let's get back to our industry, the cryptocurrency industry, right? There's... Yeah. Like you were saying, there's a ton of fraud. Um, how can investors go about kind of sniffing out that fraud so that they can try to avoid it and they don't end up losing all of their money? Right. So so I think that's a, a really good question. And I think it's a, a difficult question to answer. Of course. Um, of course. There's uh, so so there's there's things and, and traditional investors and stuff, they'll they'll tell you there's these agencies and these uh, uh, essentially there's these obstacles right to becoming a public company or or uh, even in corporation if you think about it like that in and of itself is a very uh, basic obstacle that forces some people to just give up on doing whatever they were thinking about doing and the idea there is that you have to create some form of an obstacle so that if this is something that people really want they're proving that is something they really want. It's the same as like a driver's license test or or just, just things that to, to most people seem like they make a lot of sense. But at the same time, right, the SEC or these other agencies are stuck in a kind of weird limbo because the SEC, what if they attack everything that even kind of sort of might resemble fraud? Then they're overstepping their bounds. Then everyone's going to be mad at them. Then everyone's going to be upset that these guys are 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 destroying innovation but if they 
don't move in at all, uh, everyone gets super upset and just and can't believe that they didn't do their jobs. And why would they let this happen for so long? I mean, people point to Bernie Madoff and uh, that went on. They he was they told him about they uh, the whistleblower uh, told him about about uh, told the regulators about Bernie Madoff and they didn't listen. Right. They didn't listen for 15, 20 years. They didn't give a shit. Excuse me. They didn't give a shit uh, that uh, Bernie Madoff was committing massive fraud um, until the cards came crashing down. So you can't rely on regulators either. Right. You have to know what you're looking at when you're looking at financial reports. And you have to know what you're looking at when you don't trust a CEO. You have to know like you have to you, you have to examine all these things in traditional markets as well. But there are still a lot more obstacles in a traditional market than in cryptocurrency. Anyone can roll their own cryptocurrency right now. And you can see it. You can see it in the market. You can see who's spinning their own up. You can see that everybody's getting their Ethereum tokens out. Everybody's getting, there's thousands of cryptocurrencies. I'm sure there's probably more at this point. There's more cryptocurrencies in the world than traditional fiat currencies, I would assume. Um, So it's these it's astounding to me because for a lot of these things and major projects too, you have no accountability whatsoever. So the only thing you can rely on is yourself. And to rely on yourself, you have to dig through white papers. You have to look at the team leadership. A lot of these teams don't exist, right? A lot of these teams, if you look at their images, their stock images, if you look at their names, they're not real names. But then that's also a part of the industry, like an anonymity and privacy. And you, you also want to allow people that, right? It's a very but who fine are you line. Go to if, exactly. Exactly. It is a fine line. And you don't want to be hypocritical and stuff. But, but who are you going to go to if everything goes wrong? If you lose all of your money, whose fault is it? Is it no one to blame but yourself? And there's people with that argument, right? Like in, in, in ANCAP world, you have no one to blame but yourself. And justice is like... Oh, you stole my money! I'll kill you. Um, and I'm—I'm I'm not really—I don't love that idea. Uh, so I believe in light regulation. I believe in—I also, to a certain degree, believe in self-regulation. And I do believe in heavily educating yourself. So if you—it's it, so cliche. It's such a cliche. Do your own research, whatever bullshit. But it's super important. And it's really difficult, actually. It's why media places and uh, investment firms have entire arms devoted to research, right? Because you, you can't do it by yourself. It's, it's so hard. It's so hard. It's hard to... I, I traveled across the world to like look for Bitfinex, to look for Tether, to look for physical offices, like, like they would ever exist, right? But I did that. I actually did that. I got off my chair, I got off my ass, and I went around and I looked and I spoke to people. I learned about Bitcoin mining. I went to China and learned about Bitcoin mining. I got to see a mining farm. I got to see how it happens at a, at a small scale hydroelectric dam providing electricity to a full scale uh, mining, a Bitcoin mining farm, Bitcoin, Litecoin, whatever. They were doing a bunch of different coins. But it, it's important. Right. It's important to know that these things are happening and not just be like, oh, yeah, 
sure, someone said that there's this many miners in China. And somebody said that these people are the ones who support Bitcoin and these people are the ones who support Ethereum. And therefore, it's a good investment. It's the most basic concept in this community. And I've always been really into it from the very beginning, from when I started researching in April of 17, was don't trust verify. So don't trust verify. I mean, it, it boils down to that. And decide on your risk level. Whatever risk level you're comfortable with, go for it. There we go. It's funny that you talk about the two sayings, don't trust verify and do your own research. And these are kind of mantras in our industry, but so few people actually practice what they preach. Uh, they do very little research and they buy into coins uh, not knowing the team, not knowing the code, not knowing any of it, uh, and then yeah. get upset when you know they lose their money. And that's when I think regulators start to try to step in. Uh, and it's a very mm -hmm. fine line and the, we're, we're in a very weird gray area right now. Uh, but there's two things that I did want to talk about uh, a little bit further. And I almost didn't want to bring it up, uh, but I want to talk about the case because a couple people DM'd me and they mentioned that they want to hear about it. And I was kind of interested at the time. I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to get into it, but uh, I want to talk about Bitfinex and the New York Attorney General. And uh, I just want to make it super simple because it's, it's a very complex case and there's a lot going on. Uh, so yeah. I just want to bare bones it. You know, what is the best and worst case scenario that you can see from this? And then will it have an effect on Bitcoin's price on the market? Um, that sort of thing. Right. OK. Um, yeah. So let me uh, start this off by saying I am not a lawyer. I and I never intend to be a lawyer. So this is don't take this as legal advice. Don't assume that I have don't don't assume that I know what I'm talking about and talk to someone who is super familiar with all of this before you trust anything I have to say. Thank you uh, for starting with that because I feel like it needs to be said. Yeah, repeatedly over and over. Yes, yes. Uh, I am not a financial advisor. You're not a lawyer. None right. of this is, you know, financial advice or advice on law. So let's right. get that out of the way. Yes. Um, uh, so with that out of the way, uh, so in my mind, here's here's what I foresee. Uh, I, I believe that the case will move forward. I believe that we haven't seen the end of it. It's I, I don't think that Bifinex is going to get a full dismissal from the New York Attorney General. Uh, so I guess best case scenario, right, is that Bifinex get a, gets a full dismissal and this case never sees the light of day. Um, that's the best case scenario. Alternatively, like if it did go to court, the best case scenario would, I assume, be like a, a light fine and a slap on the wrist and say, don't do it again. Um, now that and those are possible those are totally possible i'm not i'm not trying to write that off uh obviously i'm more skeptical than most uh so for me the worst case scenario for bitfinex and tether would just be the of uh, essentially them not providing just enough discovery information not providing the things that they're required to by law and falling afoul of all of this stuff and being completely swept up, right? So if, if they get completely swept up and you have a seizure uh, of either Bitfinex or Tether or both, 
that would be absolutely the ultimate worst case scenario. I think that the odds of that by now in my mind are, are lower, much lower, but it also just like the, a complete dismissal is a possibility. Um, would that have an effect on price? Definitely in my mind, definitely. You're, you're talking about uh, 10% of volume at least, right? For, for Bitcoin. And that's, if we're, I don't, yeah, something like 10%, 10% of, of Bitcoin volume and all these altcoins that exist pretty much strictly there. And then for Tether, you're not just talking about volume, you're talking about velocity of money, which is like, if I have $5 and I pay you $5 and then you pay your friend with that $5 in a, a single like day, that, that velocity of that money is now 3x, right? That's 300% velocity because it's been spent three times, that same $5. Uh, Tether has incredibly high velocity. We're talking about something that is used to jump in and out of trades constantly, all the time, by everyone. So if either of these entities were to instantly vanish or vaporize, they that would, of course dramatically affect the market i i think there's strong systemic risk there so you don't think it could be absorbed by say other stable coins and then other exchanges over over time i would assume it could but if you had an instant freeze we're talking about tether's market cap i i think as as of this time that we're speaking is around 4.1 billion yeah 4.15 something <laughs> like that it is um, very high. It's in I, I don't know like how far into the top ten, but it's in the top ten. Right. Right. Yeah, I think it's number four. Four. I think there it's we go. Four. Top five. Some, okay. Yeah. I haven't checked coin market cap in a while. Yeah. I, I, I'm not big on price either. I don't I don't really pay much attention. But uh yeah, it is a top five it is a top five coin. And the next biggest stable coin, I believe I, I, I might be wrong again. I'm I also haven't checked a lot recently, but I think it's USDC. And we're talking about 400 million. Yeah. Um, and then Gemini completely gone. Uh, Paxos has like 150 million or maybe 200 million. And then US, uh, uh, TUSD has like 250 million. I mean, how much, how much can they absorb? A billion of four, of four billion? And you're talking about as people exit Tether, right? Let's say even if there was an opportunity, right? Let's say you had a window. You had a, a, a day two window before assets were seized or something. I don't know. Um, if people were fleeing Tether, the price of those stable coins and Bitcoin is going to increase and the price of Tether will plummet and it will be very expensive for you to buy those other stable coins. So this idea, again, that like you could just, oh, we'll just absorb it. We'll just absorb it. We'll print new stable coins. Well, they're all regulated, right? They're all supposed to be regulated. Axos, uh, TUSD, and USDC are they're supposedly regulated. They're su they supposedly get audits and stuff. So, if that indeed is the case, then they can't just take a bunch of money that's supposed to be seized, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I definitely think there would be some implications in the market. It's just there's so many moving parts that I can't say, you know, how big of an implication it would have, you know. Um. Yeah, so I've done a thread before on if if there was a flight. If there was a flight from Bitfinex and Tether, uh, I did I did essentially a thread. And what you would 
I believe you would see on tethered tethered exchanges, what you would see is a, a premium for Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and coins that you could buy or sell sell into fiat. Yes. Right. So there'd be a premium for those on tethered exchanges. But while you would be having that drive up in price on tethered exchanges, there would be a strong sell volume on every untethered exchange. So on Coinbase, on Gemini, on uh, whatever few untethered exchanges exist, there would be dramatic sell pressure. And with that sell pressure, price, price would plummet. So now you have a discount there. I like to me, it would be serious. Again, I don't, I don't know how realistic that is in terms of the next year or two or, or whatever. Uh, it's, it's probably l- low. Um, but I think it would have a dramatic effect in the same, in that same regard. I wonder what kind of effect price would have if the case was dismissed or uh, what kind of effect it would have on price if case, if the case was dismissed. Maybe that would have an effect too for Bitfinex to find out that they're in the clear and Tether is in the clear. Potentially. Again, this market's very irrational. I don't even want to pretend like I know what would happen. Um, Yeah. But no, it's good to at least explore some of the possibilities, the best case, the worst case. Uh, There was one other thing that I wanted to get into, uh, and that was the fact that you you, you do not own any cryptocurrencies. And you talked about the fact that you went out, you tried to find the Bitfinex offices, you went to these mining farms. Can you talk to us about why you do not own any cryptocurrencies? Does it have anything to do with those travels and your, the research that you've done? Uh, is there anything else that you can kind of elaborate on that caused you to not want to own any? Um, what? I, so, okay, so I'm... I'm risk averse mostly, right? So okay. I'm more comfortable trading. I'm more comfortable trading stocks and shorting stocks, which I talk to most of my friends and they're uncomfortable shorting anything. Like the idea of shorting is really, they it scares them to short at all. So the idea that I would short, they think that's very risky, right? So the, these things that are, in, they are indeed risky, right? Shorting is risky. Uh, but they, they, like to me, cryptocurrency is significantly riskier right now than my my stock market portfolio. And uh, I'm pretty risk averse. And I think for me, I want to know what happens with Tether. I want to know what happens with Bitfinex. I want to know what happens with BitMEX. I want to know what happens with these entities that are riding that gray zone uh, hard. And if they succeed, uh, or they fail, either way, really, I would be much more interested in the cryptocurrency market because there would be uh, some sort of finality to that. And I've always said, like, if Bitfinex disappeared, or for, for that matter, if I was assured, like, oh, yeah, we've looked at their books and everything is fine, I would happily be buying Bitcoin and and possibly some alternatives because I do think it's a really cool technology. Like okay. I, regardless of value, I think it's a super cool technology. I think it's really cool to do cross-border transactions. I think it's cool to uh, have a non-nationally denominated currency. I like the idea of nodes and checking. Like 
it's a constant audit, right? Like I like, I like these things. I really like a lot of this stuff, but I also see a lot of the problems. Yeah, definitely. So the actual technology there you can get behind, you believe in, you think it's wonderful, but the fact that there are just so many uncertainties and all of these people that are kind of, like you said, playing this gray area that can cause some major problems for Bitcoin and actual other currencies, uh, you're, you're a little bit more risk averse. So you're saying, I'm going to sit this out. Uh, are you worried that you're going to potentially miss out on much larger gains if this is kind of a uh, not as it, it doesn't have as much of an effect on the market as you think it might. Um, I mean, okay. So, so, I mean, I watched, I watched Bitcoin go from whatever, th- what was it? 3.2 K to 14 K. Yeah. Um, and as much as, as much as I watched that and I, and I was like, wow, that's pretty incredible. And that's happening very fast. Yeah. Uh, I also was not like, oh, oh no, I, I think I really need to buy some some Bitcoin right now. I don't I don't experience that FOMO because I've seen how any market works, right? Like these things happen in traditional markets. You look at Amazon, of course. You look at Google, you look at even even something like Denny's, look at its stock chart and you're you're blown away. Uh, so these things happen regularly, right? It's never a once in a there's no such thing as a once in a lifetime opportunity insofar as there's always going to be another opportunity. Yeah. There always is. So don't, that's, and saying that, I think that's a really important point to drive home is that do research, look things up, learn about everything before you just jump in and just go take my money. Don't, I, a big part of the community is supposed to be like private keys and, and hard, hard, I have a hardware wallet. People don't believe that, uh, no coiner who uh, constantly talks shit would have a hardware wallet. I have a hardware wallet sitting at home. It's empty, but I have a hardware wallet. I, I care about the basic structure of this space and the importance of those things that that's the really cool part, right? I could take, like, not that I would, but I could essentially take $100,000 in Bitcoin across borders and not be, like, reporting it if I needed to escape or something, I could, I could do that. Um, and there's some really cool aspects to that, but I also, yeah, I also am just very, very wary. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that you, the fact that you are risk averse, but also the fact that you have, you know, a very good head on your shoulders. I don't know you very well, but I can say that you are much more realistic and you've put a lot more thought into this than a lot of people in the industry. And uh, people call you crazy and they say that you're the idiot. And uh, I, I, I can't believe it. You know, like I, I understand why you're not involved right now. I think that it, I think some of these issues that you see aren't going to be as big as you think they are going to be, which is why I'm invested because I don't think there's going to be some catastrophic event, but I see where Mm -hmm. you're coming from. And I think it's very rational. Uh, and there's just like a little bit of separation on, you know, some of the core key ideas and reasons to be in or not to be in. Um, but I just want to stress that, like, thank you for coming on and talking about this because it's a breath of fresh air from some of the people who 
try to tell me that Bitcoin's going to a million dollars and the dollar <laughs> is going to collapse and all the yada 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 <laughs> bullshit. So thank you for that. Yeah, um, thank you, thank you. I'm glad to be a a, a voice of some some reason at least. So. Yeah, yeah. You, I had the Vile Gang on. They're pretty reasonable dudes. Car- I, I listened. It was great. It Carbon's was great. an asshole, but he's reasonable, uh, which I can take, you know, I can put everything else aside just knowing that he's a very reasonable person. And same with you. I don't hold anything against you for not being involved in the industry. You have a hardware wallet. Like people I know who are very invested don't have a hardware wallet. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like, it's madness. This whole industry is madness. And <laughs> I can rant about it forever. I don't want to. Uh, I kind of just want to move forward. Uh, So I I like to ask my guests this, you know, what are you most excited for in the coming 12 months? Do you think there's going to be any kind of resolve with this case? Do you think you might be jumping back into cryptocurrencies and buying Bitcoin and others anytime soon? Uh, What do you got in, you know, the next year? Um, So, so I think... It's possible there's a resolution to this case in the next year. Uh, the likelihood of that is probably minimal. Right. These things get dragged out. You're talking about appeals on appeals on appeals. Uh, the only way I could see it not dragging out would be like a DOJ sweep. And I don't I also don't see that necessarily happening either. Um, so, no, I don't I don't foresee a conclusion to that necessarily yet. If it did conclude either way, I I may very well buy some cryptocurrency. I may very well buy some some Bitcoin or or some derivative of something. You know, I, I might. I don't know. Um, but uh, what I'm actually excited about for for the next year is that I'm working on a book with Bennett Tomlin, who you are aware of. Yes. Uh, the don't know too um, much about him, to be honest with you. Uh, well, you know about his forehead, I would assume, yeah. right? <laughs> of course, of course. But I really don't know much about him. I don't know that my audience does either. Um, oh, um, yeah. So so me and Bennett and uh, uh, there's a couple other, other – I mean, there's Vile Gang, uh, who you, you had Carbon on and Coin. Um, so, so there's them. And me and Bennett have focused more on Tether and Bitfinex. Uh, and I've got uh, another friend like Kyle, Kyle S. Gibson and another friend divide by nine. We're all working on a book sort of together. Me and Bennett are doing the majority of the heavy lifting there, but, uh, Kyle is going to contribute to it and divide by nine is going to be looking over some of the numbers for us and the accounting practices and stuff. Uh, so hopefully by the end of 2020 there is a, a book out by by me and bennett right on and uh can you talk about some of the stuff that you'll be discussing in the book i mean like can you elaborate a little bit further i should say yeah yeah sure uh so so far i've got a few chapters down and and i want to talk about the the history behind like i want to talk about how shell corporations play a massive role in the cryptocurrency world i want to talk about how uh, there's a company called Crypto Capital Core and how they played a massive role in the uh, cryptocurrency world. I want to talk about Tether and Bitfinex. And I also want to talk about going to China, going and exploring, falling into Twitter too, falling into Twitter and Reddit and these uh, learning how to s- sleuth online, how to be a, an armchair detective, if you will. Um, 
So, so yeah, I, I think that these are fun topics to discuss regardless of, regardless of how you really feel about them. And if I can be somewhat objective, but also kind of gonzo, gonzo style journalism, um, I'm, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. I'm really excited. It sounds like it's a fun project on your end and I think it'll be a good read. Uh, any idea on when that might come out? I know you said, you know, potentially next year, but do you have any deadlines I, that you've set for yourself? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere around like three to five chapters, three to five chapters in now. Um, and Bennett is contributing, um, I, I assume a significant amount as well. So, so hopefully all of the written stuff is going to be done in the next six months. Uh, and we have an illustrator as well. My buddy is illustrating all of this stuff for, for us, which should make it easier to read for, for all the folks who hate reading. I know there's a lot of folks out there who oh, really hate reading. I absolutely um, hate it. Last time I read a white paper, couldn't tell you. Yeah. yeah. You know, reading, yeah, that's not like, for me. And, yeah, that's not, that's, uh, yeah, white papers are the worst. <laughs> terrible, terrible. But okay, yeah. so you've got this book. Uh, potentially next year, sometime it should be out, or at least you know working on getting it out. Uh, so I'll, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a great read. Uh, excited for that. Last thing I want to ask. I usually like to wrap up with one biggest tip, right? And so this episode was on kind of scams and frauds and in the cryptocurrency industry, right? So can you give us your number one biggest tip? I know you've mentioned a bunch of tips already, and I already think I know what it's going to be. But if you could give us your biggest tip to avoid being scammed in this industry, that would be awesome. Yeah. uh, Okay. I think that's... uh, I, I think no matter what you're planning on investing, you should do research. But I think the more you want to invest, right? So if you want to invest $1,000 in something or $10,000 or $50,000 or $100,000, whatever, whatever the number is, um, you need to do a lot of due diligence. You need to check all of the boxes. You need to make sure like, okay, dot all your I's, cross all your T's, make sure that whatever you're jumping into, you can always get scammed, right? I mean, um, Tim Draper, lost money on Theranos. Like you, people who are, who are uh, people look up to lose money from scams. Warren Buffett has been scammed in Ponzi schemes. Like these, these, this happens to everyone. So you don't have to feel like an idiot for falling for a scam because everybody falls for a scam at some point, but you're less, you're far less likely to fall into that. If you do a ton of research beforehand. And if you're not willing to do a ton of research, don't invest a lot of money so that way you're not upset if you get scammed. I love it. I mean, I I am definitely not heavily invested, especially when I got into the industry. You know, it was a couple thousand dollars into Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Bitcoin, they were both relatively cheap. So I picked up a decent amount, but it was only a few thousand dollars. So like I did a little bit of research, but at the end of the day, I was like, you know, if I lose all of this money, whatever. And I also didn't want to spend, you know, a thousand hours researching for a few thousand dollar investment. Totally. Uh, so yeah, you're. I think you're very right in kind of catering the amount of research you do to how much money you're investing and how much 
that money means to you because I speak of a thousand dollars and that is life changing money to certain people. Uh, and so for for me to say, I'm going to do, you know, a a weekend's worth of research to drop a thousand dollars into a project, uh, some other person that might mean doing six months of research. Uh, and it kind of has the same amount of value. Uh, I want to bring up, you talked about, you know, Warren Buffett, uh, and a couple other very famous people. This one gets thrown around a lot. You know, Newton bought into the tulip mania. Uh, yep. it, it happens to the smartest of people, uh, yep. but it can be avoided if you do a little bit of extra research uh, <laughs> and you really, you know, get into the numbers, get into the white papers, get into the team, that sort of thing. Um, so thank you for that biggest tip. We've talked about a whole lot of stuff. I, I think it's been, I had a wonderful time. Uh, this was great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This uh, was fantastic. Of course, man. I didn't expect uh, a conversation with the no coiner to be, you know, as fun and reasonable <laughs> as it was. Um, We're not all bad. I promise. No, no. I, well, it's just, it's funny because I talked to some of my friends. I'm like, yo, like what's up with you and Bitcoin and not owning any, just like casual conversation. <laughs> They're like, bro, that's a scam. Like I'm not going to uh, buy into that shit. And I'm like, yeah. I, all right, like fine. You're entitled to your opinion. I don't want to push it. We're buddies. Like I'm not going to force my investments on you. Uh, but this one was much more reasonable and uh, I, I did have a lot of fun. So thank you very much. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want my audience to know? Uh, <sighs> nothing, nothing of import. I want to give a. I just want to give a quick shout out to Vile Gang, please, Red Gang, because they are they are my. Uh, uh, what what what's the word? They're my. They're I, I don't know. They're my. They're they're yeah. They're real. They're they're the realest people on Twitter. So uh, I want to give them a shout out. I appreciate everything they do, and I appreciate all. I've seen a. Ton, I've actually seen a ton of support from the community for the two and a half or so years that I've been here and been questioning things. Uh, so I want to thank the community for that. Uh, you guys do actually still appreciate skepticism and that's all I ask for. Yeah. I think, I think some of us do. There's other, other people in our community <laughs> who absolutely despise you, the vile gang, the bread true. gang. <laughs> so shout out to the ones that are, you know, cool with the skeptics and you're reasonable enough to see that they are skeptics for a reason. Yep. And I think that's a perfect way to end it, man. Again, thank you so much. I had a blast. Thank you so much, man. That was great. All right. That wraps up another episode. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I just want to take a quick second to remind you to leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We would greatly appreciate it if you did. And we look forward to seeing you next episode.